Our Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he went to the cross in our place. Uh, Father, today as we think about seeing the cross rightly, please by your spirit may we have the right eyes to see. And Father, please may we accept and live by faith for your glory. Amen. Uh, Yesterday we did look at the shame of taking up our cross and following Jesus, and today we're going to see uh, that God's wisdom and power are revealed in the cross. Uh, We need to see the cross rightly, but if you don't see the cross rightly, you're going to see the opposite of wisdom and power. You're going to see foolishness and weakness. Uh, Sometimes when we were in France, uh, we'd meet some people who would kind of Uh, sidle on up next to us and kind of go, oh, I hear a little bit of an accent, Uh, which was their kind of not very subtle, but also relatively friendly way of going, you're not from around here. Uh, And so, you know, we'd get into a bit of a conversation about where we were from and what we were doing there uh, in the north of France, telling people that we were from Australia. Uh, And the city that we were in, uh, the city of Lille in the very north of France, uh, was in the very rainy north of France, Uh, Not known for its beauty, known for its rainy weather, uh, known for its mines, known for its grey skies uh, and textile industry and rain uh, and cold weather, uh, picking up a bit of a theme here. And we'd come from Australia, right? And and their picture of Australia is pretty much the home and away picture. You know, uh, beaches, surf, laid-back life of Australia. Uh, So the natural question for them was... Why would you give up the dream of living in Australia to come here and live in the armpit of France? (laughs) Where the weather is horrible uh, and the regional cuisine delicacy is deep fried food, uh, deep fried chips, deep fried meat, deep fried sausages, deep fried everything. Uh, Why would you come and do that? And they'd be expecting the normal answers that they'd often hear from foreigners, right? Um, You know, foreigners swooning over their love for French language or French culture or cuisine. Uh, Foreigners who usually move to France when they fall in love with France, and that's why they want to live there. But that wasn't the case for us. We weren't there because we loved the French language. When we arrived, we couldn't even speak French. And we couldn't hold a conversation. So it wasn't our love of French language. We had young children, we weren't travelling around the countryside eating in cute little bistros. Uh, Basically, you know, the Tour de France, what you see on the TV, our life was the opposite of that, right? We weren't coming for all of that life. We were coming because they didn't know Jesus. But it's a bit full on the first time you meet someone to say, when they say, why would you leave paradise to come and live in France? And the answer is, because you don't know Jesus. Oh, oh, your wife is French, is she? No, no, we have no family here. We know no one. We have no family in France, let alone this hemisphere of the world. And then sometimes we'd ask ourselves that question of what are we doing here? Why are we here? Especially in those moments of disappointment and frustration. I remember one year when we were in Lille, uh, there was the, the student group that was meeting in our home um, that night. Uh, we, we have little kids at this stage and so we need to clean the house to make it all welcoming for, for having students coming along. So we clean the house, we cook some food ready to welcome people. I prepare a discussion on a Bible passage uh, and then I get a message from someone in the group chat saying that they're sick and they're not going to come tonight. 
Uh, and then the next person in the group chat messages and says, oh yeah, I've got this assignment that I need to work on tonight. Uh, and then the third person who completes the group, because the group's only three people, decides, oh well, it'd be a bit awkward if I came along and it was just me and, and you guys. So we cancel the group for that night. And then we're kind of looking at each other, Kate and I, asking, what are we even doing here? We've cleaned the house, we, we've cooked dinner, we've written a study, we've left our family, we've moved to the other side of the world, and Bible study is cancelled for tonight. The one reason we're here to work with uni students isn't even happening. What have we done? Why would we even do that? But that was the reality, right? A foolish thing to do? Leaving our world behind, leaving behind a place where uh, we were integrated and settled in, where, where we could speak the language, where we were, we were with our family, uh, leaving the dream location of Australia. Why would we do that? What would motivate us? And the only motivation is the cross, isn't it? You see, the cross seems foolish when we live our cross-shaped life. We're going to do things that seem foolish to the world. This kind of thinking doesn't make sense for the world, does it? And that doesn't surprise us because we've already been taught that in God's Word. Now, let's spend some time looking at that passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For those who have not been regenerated by the Spirit, they can only see the message of the cross as foolishness. Uh, Paul introduces this section of the, the dichotomy uh, between the two things, um, between foolishness and wisdom and weakness and power. He kind of grabs one from each side and, and talks about foolishness and power to incorporate all four of those ideas. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about what the world is looking for. Uh, from verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Greek world is all about wisdom. Uh, that's what they value, that's what they respect. Their, their tradition of philosophy goes back hundreds of years. It's the, the key and defining aspect of their culture. Uh, philosophy and wisdom are the moorings of their society. But what good has it done them? Because in their search for the good life, through their wisdom, they've fa failed to attain the good life. Because in the wisdom of the Greeks, they did not know God. They did not recognise the wisdom of God when it came face to face with them in the person of Jesus. They refused to accept God's wisdom revealed in the preaching of the cross. It appears only as foolishness to them. But they're not the only ones who reject the message of the cross. The Jews are looking for a sign of power. Uh, from verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 
Uh, the Jews also fail to recognize the true meaning of the cross uh, because they're looking for a sign of power, but instead what they see is a complete stumbling block for them. Uh, much like what we saw yesterday with Peter, where he's able to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but he's unable to recognize that the Messiah could possibly suffer and die. That seemed like weakness to Peter and not the power of God as he was expecting it to look like. Uh, when we were in France, uh, a number of terrible things happened uh, within the society, and one of these things uh, was in 2015, the, the magazine uh, Charlie Hebdo uh, published offensive pro uh, caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, that led to the shooting that happened in the, the, the magazine's offices, uh, which led to the Je suis Charlie, or I am Charlie, uh, kind of response that you may have heard about. That was in 2015. In 2020, there was a middle school teacher who was teaching classes on civics and citizenship, and he was teaching a class uh, on the lesson of freedom of speech. And in the process of teaching this class, he showed his students these images that had led to the shooting in the office. And so uh, an 18-year-old Muslim man heard about this, came and confronted the teacher, attacked him and beheaded him. I was speaking to our neighbour about this episode, Understandably, the whole nation was shocked by this attack, and she was too. Uh, this was in late 2020, the pandemic in full swing, and then this happens. Her world is turning upside down. We were talking about what would possibly motivate a young man to do this horrible act. We were talking about not being able to understand or comprehend the level of offence and sheer outrage that he must have felt for someone to dishonour the Prophet Muhammad in such a way that he should be capable of attacking a teacher like that. And I said to her that I think it's actually really hard for Christians to understand this young man's motivation. Because if somebody dishonoured Jesus, whatever they could say or do to dishonour him, it's not beyond what he has already been through on the cross. You see, at the heart of our faith is God taking upon himself the utter shame of the cross. But it is also the very moment of the ultimate demonstration of his love for us. We talk about the cross and we're often sanitised when we think about it. But an offensive caricature cartoon of the prophet Muhammad that motivates a young man to kill a teacher that offence pales in comparison to seeing the Lord's anointed dying on the cross. It doesn't even come close to the offence of the cross. It's not surprising that the message of the cross doesn't make sense to people. Even if we're not Jews or Greeks, we can see how bizarre it is to have the cross at the centre of our faith. But we also see in these verses that God is turning things upside down. To those whom God called from both among the Jews and the Greeks, not all of them have rejected the message of the cross. To those he has called as he sets his spirit on them, they accept the message of the cross, not as weakness, but as the revelation of God's power, not as foolishness, but as the revelation of God's wisdom. 
Uh, Paul then goes on in chapter 2 to explain that the only way that people can accept the message of the cross for what it truly is, is by the work of the Spirit. From chapter 2, uh, verse 12, he says this, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The only way of seeing Jesus as he truly is is through spiritual discernment. That is, by having our eyes opened to who he is by the work of the Spirit in us. If you're going to stick to understanding that comes only from the natural world, the human world, the gospel is going to stay incomprehensible and it's only going to seem as foolishness and weakness. The cross will make no sense whatsoever. It's only by the work of the Spirit that people can accept Jesus and the cross as the wisdom and the power of God. What about our world at the moment? As we seek to go out with the message of the cross, uh, what do we expect people are going to see it as? Well, I guess that depends on what they're looking for. We know that the Greeks looked for wisdom, and so they see it as foolishness. Uh, The Jews look for a powerful sign, so they see it as weakness. What's our society looking for at the moment? Uh, One thing we noticed as we were working among uni students in France was that people are looking for a distraction. You ready for French word of the day? Uh, French word of the day today is divertissement. Divertissement. Yeah, excellent. That's, that's not bad. Just mumbles, general mumbles. Um, it's it's, it's kind of like our English word diversion. Okay? And the French word divertissement is what they talk about for kind of different forms of entertainment. How does that work? How do those two ideas go together? Well, the idea comes from the idea of diverting your attention through entertainment. It was used by Blaise Pascal to kind of talk about the idea of entertainment turning people away from their essential and existential problems. I think it's a pretty honest description of entertainment, right? Uh, Netflix, gaming, doom scrolling, finding the perfect coffee, dining at the latest restaurant that you just found and half of Sydney happened to just find at the same time on Instagram, uh, booking that next perfect holiday. Try to fill your life with whatever you can to divert your attention from your existence. Avoid facing the reality of your brokenness. Uh, Sometimes we get pieces of entertainment that that actually call our attention uh, to existential problems, uh, like Bo Burnham's Inside, But without God, with humanity and the individual in the place of God, the answers are always empty. It's much better to cram your life with as much as you can. Make it as noisy as you can so that you don't have to deal with the uncomfortable whisper of existential dread. Divertissement, entertainment, diversion becomes meaning. Society is entertaining itself to death. Another thing I think that society is looking for at the moment is inclusion and belonging. 
Uh, that's one reason why the LGBT and diversity voices have been so loud recently, because our world is longing for belonging. It's, so much, uh, it's not so much about just being free to live the way you want, but I also need you to approve of me. I need you to no longer exclude me because of who I am. This is a deep longing for inclusion and belonging. And so what do people of our society hear when we preach the message of the cross? Greeks looks for wisdom, saw foolishness. Jews, power, saw weakness. People these days look for inclusion and see exclusion at the cross, which is such a shame, isn't it? Because when you have your eyes opened by the Spirit, you're able to see what the cross really is, that it is God's power of inclusion, the ultimate expression of belonging, as Jesus brings reconciliation to the Father through the cross and his resurrection, belonging to the Father as his beloved child, and not only peace with God, but peace with each other, belonging to one another as the redeemed family of God. So what are we expecting when we're thinking about mission, about preaching the cross? What do we expect that the response is going to be? Maybe, maybe the answer is just do a better job, just, just uh, make the, the gospel connect with people better, uh, make it more relative, be more creative, make it more contextual, spend more time explaining it. Uh, these things might be good, but they're going to count for nothing if God doesn't give spiritual discernment. Verse 14 of chapter 2 again, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The message of the cross is only ever going to be seen as foolishness, weakness, exclusion, all of these things if the Spirit does not reveal the truth to people. But you know what's really great? This is the God we pray to. You see, if you think that mission is only about those who go, you've not understood at all how mission works. Some go, others send, all of us depend on our Lord in prayer. Mission Awareness Week is not uh, for a niche group of people who are really interested in mission. If you're not going to the ends of the earth, you have the joy and the responsibility to be on that team that is going. We were physically in France, but most of the rest of our team was here in Australia, crying out to our Father to be at work in the power of the Spirit so that people could clearly see who Jesus was. And for all of us, we follow Paul's example that we see at the beginning of chapter 2 there, we resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We come in weakness and fear and trembling, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What are the ministries or the ministers of the gospel that really impress us? What's our criteria for what we really like? Is it faithfulness? expressed in weakness? Or are we a little bit like the Corinthians sometimes and we're, we're a little bit too excited by the super apostles? Do we look with spiritual discernment to see what is impressive in God's eyes, not in human eyes? 
Let me tell you about Moise. Uh, Moise is a high school student, or he was a high school student, who didn't have any other Christians in his whole high school. That's pretty normal, pretty standard in France. Um, so he, he knew that there weren't any other Christians, uh, so he decided to start a Bible discussion group where he could invite his friends to come along and read the Bible with him. Uh, no staff worker could come onto the campus of the high school and do that. No local youth pastor. They wouldn't be allowed to do it, even if there were people willing to do that, and there weren't. And so Moise thinks it's either him or no one. So week by week, he invites his friends to read the Bible with him, knowing that the power to see his friends saved was not in his capability to explain the gospel, but only in the preaching of Christ crucified. Even when that seemed foolish, weak, and looked like exclusion to them. That's wisdom. That's power, isn't it? And so for us, knowing that God is pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe, mission is to preach Christ crucified. Not with human wisdom, not with power in ourselves, we embrace our weakness, allowing God to demonstrate the Spirit's power through us so that faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, sometimes this feels pretty frustrating. Sometimes we wish it wasn't like this. But you know what? It's not a bug, it's a feature. God has made it like this. God has made it such that as we live a cross-shaped life and we proclaim the message of the cross, he makes obviously clear his extravagant grace and mercy as it is only his spirit that enables Jesus to be seen for who he truly is. He has us as weak people so that we can see his power at work through us. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, you are extravagant in your love and mercy. We see that thanks to the way that you have opened our eyes when we look at the cross. Father, it is not because of our ability to understand. It is not because of our intelligence. Father, it is despite that that you have had mercy on us and opened our eyes. Please, Father, may we be men and women who, despite the frustration of not being able to depend on ourselves in our weakness, we would be people who embrace our weakness. We would be people who embrace the seeming foolishness of the message of the cross. And through that, that you might be pleased to work that you would be obviously at work through our weakness so that people, as they come to understand who Jesus really is, they would not thank us or recognise us, but they would recognise you because it's truly you who is at work. And Father, we long that you might receive all the glory because you are worthy of all glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.